0: What's going on everybody? My name is Steve Vandewall, and welcome to episode 7 of Steve's Cannabis Show. I know we are in the midst of some crazy times right now worldwide, but we are uh, very happy to be here today uh, to continue having high-level cannabis conversation with experts all around the world. Uh, I'm really excited today because not only do I have... uh, Uh, interviewing a company today that's doing some amazing things in the industry. But I get to interview three of their team members today. Uh, And the team that I'll be interviewing today is from Sangha Systems. Sangha is a Sanskrit word meaning association, assembly, company, or community, and most commonly refers to in Buddhism to the monostatic community. Sangha Systems was founded on the principles of cultivating harmony both within and without, striving towards a collective goal of accelerating the clean energy revolution, and always pushing the boundaries of creativity. It is by staying vigilant about their goal of using high energy consumption industries to mainstream renewable energy that they bring the most sustained value to their clients. The essence of a Sangha is awareness, understanding, acceptance, harmony, and love. When you find these elements are present in a community, you know you have the happiness and fortune of being in a real Sangha. You guys, thank you so much uh, for joining me on the podcast today. How's everybody doing?
1: We're doing great. Thanks for uh, having us.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. I know these are some crazy times. Luckily, you know, this is 2020 and we have, you know, internet and communication where we're still able to have uh, platforms like this. So I thank you very much. Um, rather than me uh, continuing to babble on, I'd like for you guys to all give um, individual introductions. Uh, talk about your role and talk about your role in the company, please.
1: Sure, I'll kick it off. <clears throat> so my name is Spencer Marr, I'm the president of Sangha Systems. Um, I come from a legal background. Um, I practiced law in New York City for a few years. I'm a lifetime New Yorker. Uh, In 2016, I I left legal practice to go take a position working under a Department of Energy grant for Sustainable CUNY, which is part of the City University of New York system. It was there that I uh, first met my partner, Lars LaSalle, who's on the call. Uh, We were focused on animating solar public policy for the city of New York uh, and and kind of the broader Northeast community um, to figure out how we could unlock certain price signals through insurance markets. Um, And Lars has a more technical background, which when paired with my uh, policy and legal background allowed us to shape some interesting thinking, some projects that continue to this day around um, uh, you know, solar public policy to put it broadly. Um, In late 2017, as two things were happening, um, as our federal grant was coming to an end, uh, and as the price of Bitcoin uh, was skyrocketing, it led us to found the company. uh, And we are heavily invested in and focused on um, how to leverage very high energy density, high energy consuming industries um, towards renewable assets. Uh, Basically, we we tend to use the framing of, uh, these industries are the tip of the spear and as the, you know, kind of macroeconomic environment um, coalesces around the smart deployment of renewable energy technologies, uh, we want it to be front and center on project development. So with that said, I'll, I'll keep it that brief and kick it over uh, to Lars to make his introduction.
0: Thank you.
2: Yeah, so I am Lars Assel. I'm the director of technology, which is to say um, I'm the engineer on the team. Um, Spencer gave a, a good background on you know what what brought us together um but uh my uh you know my my previous life was um i worked for almost 10 years for a department of energy national lab um and i worked in um energy markets um, technology to um technology to market type type stuff where we looked you know across the energy sector to find places where renewable energy technologies and energy efficiency technologies made sense um and uh yeah, I've always had a had a passion for clean energy sustainability. I grew up on an organic farm in northern Minnesota, um, so this is you know for my entire life um, I've been very passionate about sustainability, um, and uh, you know how we can how we can be better stewards of the earth, um, and uh, and yeah, this um, you know this was a uh, a very natural fit when um, when Spencer and I came together and started looking at at you know these industries and you know, finding ways that we could, um, move them to renewable energy. Um, it was kind of a culmination of, of everything that I'd, I'd done to this point in my life. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a very interesting path since we, since we set out. Um, and, uh, and, um, you know, we've, we've, uh, I feel like we've, we've done a lot of good work. We're, we're trying to push the envelope on, on some really cool technological things. And, you know, these industries have, um, have been a great way to kind of, um, you know, uh, push these push these passions forward. Excellent.
1: Um, and then um, the third member of our team is Mihir Bangli. Um, and just as a, I'll just uh, let Mihir introduce himself. Um, we do have a fourth member of our team, Fred Fucci, um, who, given the chaos of today, uh, you know, on the day we're talking is when a lot is shaping up on people fleeing from New York City. Um, so Fred is uh, Fred is caught up in that um and unfortunately he would have liked to be here but but he can't be um so with that said uh me here do you want to introduce yourself yeah hey everyone my
3: name is Mihir bangley um, i come from a background of launching a few companies before joining kellogg um which is the business school out of northwestern to get my mba from there i went into real estate and, uh, with this company called cbre and while there I worked with Spencer and Lars, Moonlighting, to help them kick off this business. And my function became that of operations, marketing, sales, business design to push forward the mission. So to take all of these ideas that Spencer and Lars have worked to put together and helping to implement them in the case of both crypto mining, site development, and cannabis cultivation what I really realized working with these guys and why I decided to stay on really is that they're looking to repurpose. And now we are looking to repurpose how we all think about and repurpose the fundamentals of our society. My passion for real estate was, was the way to get in here. But what these guys are doing is looking at real estate energy and figuring out better ways to use them, uh, as a society.
0: Wow. It sounds like you guys have a ton of synergy coming from all different backgrounds and educational backgrounds that uh that's really impressive stuff um and send our uh, you know send our best wishes to help to fred um hopefully he stays in good health and hopefully we you know come out this on the other side but we're really going to dive into cannabis in just a second but before we do that you guys um participate in a couple different high energy consumption industries um, Talk about those for a second because you'd mentioned uh, cryptocurrency mining, which is something that I'm still trying to educate myself more on. Um, also, you guys work in the brewery and distilling industry and for data centers. Talk a little bit about how you guys tackle those industries and what made you take the leap into the cannabis cultivation sector.
1: Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll kick that off. Um, so, um, the best way i'm able to talk about this to give people a sense of the order of magnitude um of a of energy consumption for a cryptocurrency mining uh facility is that you could think uh the kind of rule of thumb is that a megawatt of power consumption roughly is equivalent to about 700 typical u.s homes um So, um, you know, uh, you can imagine when people are home, they're turning the lights on, they're running air conditioning, et cetera, et cetera. It's about 700 houses. Um, We have a facility in central Illinois. It's a former steel mill smack in the middle of uh, the industrial backbone of the country. Um, It's decommissioned as a steel mill. It has an 82 megawatt substation. So so what that means is it's the equivalent of 56,000 and change. U.S. homes are being, you know, have the ability to be powered at a substation that we have access to and we are in control of in the middle of the country. Um, So, and we can pack all of that energy consumption into basically uh, 120,000 square feet. So that's a small to mid-sized city's worth of um, energy consumption packed into a very tight area. Why is that the case? Well, it's because crypto mining are, you know, the way that they function is you set up a system of racks, uh, servers, very typ- uh, typically um, from the data center community. It's just that this is a very specific type of data center. And they just run around the clock, um, running algorithms to try to solve uh, code. And that code, um, once solved results in the um, reward, which is new Bitcoin that, or any type of cryptocurrency, typically it's Bitcoin, um, that is released into the worldwide blockchain. Can quickly get into a lot of details about uh, how all that functions, but because I know we have time constraints, what we realized is that um, that presented an amazing opportunity for us to come in and first set up a facility drawing power off of the grid. You know, you need that from a project development development and project finance perspective, um, you need to be able to move quickly by drawing power off an existing piece of infrastructure. But in particular, we were drawn to this facility in Illinois um, because behind the meter, which is a term of art that we can get into in in, in a minute, um, there are 900 acres of greenfield development space so that we can slowly transition the power in tranches away from using grid power towards renewable energy. Um, there's a lot more to say about it, but that's kind of at a high level. It's just a matter of, um, mixing and matching energy generation sources and energy consuming sources and doing that in a sophisticated way, both technically and from, um, a business modeling perspective. Um, Lars as a technical person may have, um, a little additional color he would want to add, but I know it's not the main focus of, of today's show.
0: No, it, it's interesting. And uh so how do you guys have a preference towards like the types of sustainable su- sustainable energy resources that you use in terms of energy generation resources is it solar like um you elaborate on that a little more? Yeah, Lars, do you want to you want to take that?
2: Yeah, I mean, what we focus mostly on is solar just because of the um the, the way that you can rapidly deploy solar. Um, we're pretty agnostic when it comes to the technologies, really. Um, you know, Each situation is a little bit different, and um, you know, a certain energy end use, um, uh, um, some of them lend themselves more to, to generation sources than others. Um, but, uh, but the thing that's good about solar is you can deploy it rapidly. Um, it's it's you know, fairly modular, so you can, you can sort of build it in stages. Um, you know the construction phase isn't quite as involved as, say, like a wind project or, or hydro or something like that. So um, most of what we've been looking at are our solar um, development deals. But uh, but you know that's not to say that that we we might down the road encounter um, a project that you know that that would be a better fit for wind or some other generation technology.
0: Now. Something I've always wondered is like how, I don't know if there's like standard solar panel sizes or how that works, but like on average, what, you know, if there is an average panel size, what does that uh, uh, translate into in terms of like wattage? You know, how many for an average home or something like that would would a single home need to be able to produce enough energy or like how much solar panel or how many panels do you need to produce enough usable energy to, to, you know, to operate our home or an indoor grow or something like that?
2: yeah so so for a typical home you need about 10 kw worth of solar um and you know that that changes you know that that varies widely based on um you know how much sun a particular location gets um you know how how much uh which way the the panels are oriented that sort of thing but in general you need about 10 kw per um per home to completely zero out the energy usage Um, and generally panels are about 300 Watts a piece. And again, you know, different manufacturers have different, different size, um, you know, different size panels and, and, um, different configurations, but in general, um, you know, that, that's kind of what you're looking at. So about 30 panels would do a typical home. Um, if you compare that to say like a cannabis cultivation facility, you know, you're talking about. About hundreds and thousands of panels in order to to offset that energy use. So, um, you know, the the system very quickly um, get large when you're dealing with these really energy intensive industries. Um, and you know, crypto is 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 the same. You know, it's it's very very energy intensive. So, you know, the the number of panels that you need to um, to produce all of the energy needed at one of these facilities is you know, they, they end up being big systems. Um, for instance, uh, the the project that Spencer mentioned earlier, um, you know, the, there's about two megawatts worth of energy generation um, or uh, load at the site currently. Um, to you know, to to build out a a uh, a system that would be capable of producing that amount of energy, you'd need somewhere in the order of 15 to 20 acres. Um, so you know, we're talking about very large system sizes.
0: You know, one of the things that, you know, the cannabis industry is is becoming a, a nationwide thing. You know, state by state, we're legalizing. New York State is on the cusp uh, of becoming this 12th 12, 12 state to legalize. And I believe that will be, you know, there will be a domino effect after that. But one of the kind of the negative things about this industry is the exorbitant amount of energy consumption that comes with indoor cultivation. Um, I was I was actually interviewing Kyle Moffat last week from STEM and uh, had read uh, a piece from a Green State article that said 10 percent of Colorado's uh, energy is coming from indoor cultivation and 13 percent of that is coming uh, from Boulder itself. And, you know, that is that is extremely problematic, especially in the midst of a climate crisis. How does your company go about solving a problem like this? Like who is an ideal client for you guys? Sure, I,
1: I, could, I could hop in there. Um, <clears throat> so, first of all, I mean, one of the beautiful things about working with Kyle Moffin and the STEM team is that, um, you know, they have made a really modular situation um, with very controlled variables for a grow room. What that translates to from an energy development perspective is a well defined, uh, well articulated strategy and ability to plan for how to, how to size on almost exactly, you know, there's some variability depending on, you know, um, geography and certain other constraints like that. Um, but we can really line up stem boxes, um, in a, and kind of have a right size fit for how many panels, you know, we would need to put down in the facility to offset that energy consumption. So we really like that modularity. Um, and just to back up, um, you know, it, when it comes to the, um, the, the cannabis cultivation space, we kind of have created a holistic, you know, speaking of Sangha and the way that these concepts tie in together, we've created like a really nice ecosystem for all of the deals that we touch. One of the ways we've done that is just really focus on relationship cultivation and treating people with an immense amount of respect and kind of putting egos aside and being easy to deal with um, and, and kind of responsive to people's concerns. Um, And so as a result, you know, a lot of the same sites that we've taken a look at over the last two years um, that could be a good fit for a crypto mining facility or um, a data center or a brewery or a cannabis cultivation site, um, it starts with site selection. So we like to go into sites that have that give us competitive advantage because the, inf- the, on- the existing on-site infrastructure is both capable of powering the facility you know, that we're planning to put there, um, offers competitive advantage in the form of um, the existing grid rate, and there are certain things that we kind of uniquely know, have a sort of special sauce in our approach about, depending on the voltage that you're metered at, there's a bunch of things that people typically in the cannabis cultivation space leave off the table We know how to look for those things. And so we really center in our approach power infrastructure in a way that most people look at it as kind of a thing to be considered only at the end of project planning. It's actually the very first thing for us, especially in the crypto mining space, but also in the cannabis cultivation space, which leads me to the answer to who's our ideal client. Um, It is someone it's, you know, we, uh, me here has really been um, taking the lead on interacting with these people and I'm going to kick it to him in a second. But we've really th- uh, <clears throat> thought through a few personas of people who we think we can serve as well. Um, existing larger operators um, who, you know, maybe when at the time that they were planning their project build out um, just did not consider the impact of cost of electricity on their bottom line. And they're, you know, as markets have compressed and or as margins have compressed and market markets have tightened and capital markets have tightened people who really now are seeking to, to instead of focusing on um, only better yield and higher quality, also are more cost sensitive. So if you're, you know, spending ten, twenty, sometimes fifty thousand dollars a month on electricity, there are very there are some even lower no cost things you can do um, to begin to bring that cost down. Um, also, we believe that tying in with Stembox is a, is a is a great way to kind of um, overcome some of those hurdles. Sure. Um, newer applicants who are um, uh, our favorite type of client is someone who has either just an intent and a, an idea to go to go after a license in one of the legalized states, or maybe they're a little further than that. They're they've already actually started the process of writing an application, and now they're looking to find a site where we can we know we can offer them a competitive advantage because of the power infrastructure and our ability to develop you know solar on site for them and. I would also say solar and a battery, and uh, we can get into why, h- how batteries fit into this. Me here, I wanna, I wanna kick it over to you. Do you, do you have um, kind of a good sense for our ideal customer um, in
3: this sense? Yeah, so Spencer, you nailed it pretty exactly, but to review again, one, it's people with a distressed asset. Some of these ROs and MSOs having built out so rapidly did not consider the impact of electricity on their product and are managing the compression of prices. So one, these people are capitalized and we are there to provide incentives and ways for them to increase margins on their products by looking at, again, the fundamental, the energy you use. Second, as you said, the new grower, who has not been assigned a certain method of grow out, oh, sorry, of of cultivating is an ideal candidate. Why? We can now advise them on how to either select a site or build from ground up a site that allows them to plan for their electricity usage ahead of time. Not reactionary, go back and retrofit a, a site to manage this cost. And third, a new registrant, a new applicant who's looking for advice to build out again. The real problem with this organization, the real problem with the industry has been a uh, uh, the gold rush and not a systematic planned approach to growing for the long term. Mm-hmm. That's where we come by, That's where we come into it uh, to help.
0: Yeah, I see that, uh, especially in the hemp industry, which obviously is a little different since it's outdoor cultivation. But there was a lot of, you know, this is something that, uh, in my experience, a lot of farmers got into thinking, you know, they were going to throw seeds or starters in the ground. And at the end of a three, four month period, you're going to have this lucrative crop and somebody was just going to show up and, you know, write a check. But there is an extensive preparation process that goes into both the outdoor and indoor cultivation arguably more intricate in the indoor cultivation so you know with New York being on the on the cusp of legalization and what i can only imagine will be a surge in, in applications and people of all sorts of different experience in growing probably brand new growers probably seasoned you know second generation growers are all going to uh, uh, look to capitalize on this industry do you guys serve uh, you know, clients of all different shapes and sizes. Is it? You know, this definitely seems. Uh, really relevant into in like the larger, you know, the larger cultivation facilities, you know, we start, you know, with companies like MedMen and all these massive, you know, the ROs and MSOs that are seeing, you know, um, kind of financial issues right now, one can only imagine it's, you know, when you grow a 100,000 square foot cultivation facility, the the utility usage and the, and the energy usage is exorbitant and incredibly cost prohibitive, uh, which is why from an advocacy perspective, us, you know, in New York, we've really been pushing and focusing our efforts on building the craft model, uh, the craft cannabis, really focusing on high efficiency, smaller craft grows. You know, is this something in a craft industry that Sangha would be able to come in and help to roll out a program like uh, like this. Cause it is something that you're right. Most people are thinking about dollars and cents. We're going to buy plants. We're going to grow them. We're going to sell them for high margins, but it does not work like that. And if you go into a grower, a new operation with that mindset, there's a high probability you're going to fail. So how in, in the midst of a new industry that's, you know, on the verge of legalizing in New York, are you guys preparing to cap- not only capitalize, but to help build what could be a very, very successful craft
3: industry in this state? You want to, you want to, you want to take first crack at that? Yeah. I wanted to just to, to kick it off at, uh, uh, you know, the answering, answering this question with a very high level, uh, thought, um, most as you alluded to in regarding the hemp and cannabis industry, it's almost as if no one else had the thought that they could just plant seeds in the ground and all of a sudden they'll be making profit. Um, Seems like what actually happened is everyone had that same thought, everyone did the same thing, and now everything is being compressed. What this really means is that no one thought about the systems by which they are operating that prolong their success for the long term. It's in our namesake to do that. Uh, fundamentally, we believe that, and then we can get into how how this will apply to a grow a grower. But fundamentally, we believe that it's an we, we don't we don't aspire to the goals that we set in business we fall to the systems and habits that we have created um, and in that way what we're allowing a grower to do when we get involved is to is to raise the bar raise the baseline raise their foundation by which they operate so that they can rise that they have a higher uh, uh, platform by which they might be able to hit some of their hit some of their goals, but definitely won't fall uh, as far when things get tight and more difficult. So
1: I, I, would, I would add, I, you know, just uh, on, uh, to augment um, um, what Mihir is saying. I mean, uh, we kind of two years ago really had a thesis about uh, nothing short of which way the world was moving, uh, macroeconomically, geopolitically, and otherwise. Um, and in our view, you know, the, there are a few um, technologies and segments that have kind of a radical power to, like, change the way uh, society functions over the next uh, several years. Um, and, you know, it's renewable energy um, kind of at, 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 its, at its core. Um, particularly, um, there's, a, there's a term that gets used, um, which is distributed generation. So the types of projects that we're talking about. Um, are really distributed, decentralized, um, renewable energy deployments, as opposed to large u- utility scale, you know, kind of the megalithic version of this where you just create a sea of solar panels or a sea of wind and you sell that into the grid, which is which is generally referred to in the industry as in front of the meter, um, because you're pushing that energy forward onto the grid and it's getting kind of parsed and moved around using the grid's infrastructure. Mostly what we're focused on is behind the meter deployments, which are um, very much uh, part of the same ethos as blockchain and cryptocurrency, which is kind of decentralized and distributed means of creating value. Um, so in that way, we kind of look at it all within the umbrella thesis of, you don't need to set up as a, as a you know, you know MedMen, um, we're all familiar with kind of their internal dynamics and how they're doing in the market for better and worse. And there's a bunch of these MSOs and ROs who I think we're very top heavy because of the gold rush, because they looked at things like electricity consumption as afterthoughts. So we're coming in and kind of saying, if you just decentralize, if you use stem boxes powered with, you know, your own energy systems, and you can achieve really the lowest possible cost of creating, uh, you know, a pound of cannabis, for example, um, and the same thinking applies to these under, other industries as well, And what you do is you really lock in, um, your best operating cost, irrespective of market movement. You need for margins to be there still, of course. Right. But, but we look at that as kind of, um, less within our control and the things that we can control are smart energy planning, smart facility design, um, smart site selection, and that's going to be in New York. We have, um, you know, a lot of ambition for what we are. I'm a native New Yorker. Uh, me here is from New Jersey, which is just a state away. Lars has been living here for several years now. We feel a lot of pride about what's going to be happening in the New York scene. We have a lot of plans for rolling out um, some of our own facilities um, that are kind of in in, in, in you know, those are nascent projects, obviously, because it's not yet legalized. The point is um, we, can, we can cut with a really sharp, small blade, meaning we can totally decentralize this model and service craft growers around the state or around the country, frankly, around the world using the same thinking. And it scales really modularly. So um, you know, if uh, one of the larger cultivation facilities called us and said they wanted, let's say, to pair um, you know, a 10 megawatt solar facility with 50 stem boxes, there's really very little. I mean, there are some considerations that change as you scale up. But by and large, what we've done is create a business model that allows us to um, either be a,
0: a Ginsu blade or a sledgehammer yeah. to, to kind of you know, to think of it that way. Yeah, I love the, uh, you know, we keep using this phrase modularity. Uh, I think this is something where you know the gold rush wasn't was one in picks and axes right it was won, it was one in ancillary tools and I think businesses that are in this industry right now while everyone's focusing on growing or extracting or retail really the people who are going to win and really have a, a sustainable long-term footprint in this industry are are those that are looking at the preparatory, uh, these uh, preparation solutions and these other ancillary solutions that quite frankly, not a lot of people are looking into, but are so fundamentally important to not only the longevity and success of your business, but to the climate in our communities. which is really interesting. I want to talk a little bit about you know you guys have a a, a, a bundle, a, an array of different services that you that you offer, uh, from site selection to project management to energy consultant to incentive bundling, uh, and finally design consulting. Um, Are all these packages, are all these different services that you guys offer, is that uh, a a typical package that if I was a grower or if I was a a new business, would this be a package that you would come in and offer me services or is this kind of a la carte, Um, you know, what what do you, you know, it seems like you guys are really a, a problem solving company where, you know, if if I come to you and you say, say, these are the what problems are you having and how can I solve them? Is that a lot of the work that you guys do is helping people a understand that the problems that they are currently having or have yet to see and helping, you know, to create solutions. Uh, you know, to these problems, you know, you guys really seem like you have a good handle on solving a lot of the issues that people aren't even aware of or even have a grasp on, you know, as I, I, I really do think that's going to make you guys, uh, you know, really successful um, and really put you ahead, especially when people are, are all you know, kind of uh, racing towards, you know, the green rush, the gr- the growing, the extracting, you know, kind of very the superficial level of can- the cannabis industry. Um, but what's next for you guys? What are some of the product projects that you're working on, on now? I know I don't want to delve into any secrets or share any things you can't share, but what are some of the case studies that you guys are working on now that you're excited about?
1: Lars, do you want to
2: you want to jump in there? Well, actually, maybe I'll let you explain some of the stuff that we're doing next, Spencer. But um, but one thing, one point that I wanted to make is, um, you know, in terms of how we approach these, these problems, um, you know, we're, uh, yeah, ultimately we are problem solvers. You know, we're, we're a small team, we're a nimble team, um, we're a startup. So basically, you know, when we get into a project, we just roll up our sleeves and we, we dig in and we see where we can add value and, you know, basically do whatever we can to make make our projects and clients successful. Um, but one of the things that has been super interesting, you know, we've been at this about, um, about two years now. Um, and when we got into this industry, you know, we had kind of a, um, a, a, a central thesis that we thought in the long term renewables would outcompete traditional kind of fossil technologies, um, fossil energy sources. Um, and really, you know, we thought, Oh, that might take, that might take four years. That might take five years. Um, it's happened a lot faster than, than I think anybody expected. The price points on renewables have come down super rapidly. Um, right now, uh, energy from renewable sources is cheaper than, than energy from fossil sources in most cases. So, um, this, this kind of central thesis that, you know, that, that we went into this whole thing with, um, has proven to be true and, um, And, you know, a nice little bonus was that it happened way faster than we thought it was going to. Um, So, so we're really seeing, you know, we're seeing the, the types of stuff that we're working on now, getting a lot of traction. Um, You know, these uh, originally you had to get into renewables because you thought it was the right thing to do. And what we've seen recently is that you still do renewables because it's the right thing to do, but Oh, by the way, it's also going to make your business more competitive and it's going to you know, make you able to, um, you know, stay, stay in, in the game, you know, when other people are defaulting because they're spending too much money on power and things like that. Um, so, so, so that's, um, you know, that's one thing I wanted to, I wanted to mention and that's, you know, that's, that's one thing, one reason I think we're getting a lot of traction and, um, you know, we, we have, um, we have, we have gotten some things over the finish line. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, in terms of what's next, I'll let Spencer jump in there but um, you know, it's a, it's it's exciting stuff. I mean, there's there's exciting stuff happening all around us, and um, definitely definitely a lot uh, lot in the pipeline.
1: Excellent. Yeah, um, well, I, you know, it's not <clears throat> it's not lost on us. Just as a, it's, it's very interesting to observe the events of the last few days. Um, who knows? You know, it, it'd be it'd be a fool's errand to try to uh, project all of the ways in which this current crisis with um, you know, with the coronavirus is going to impact our society over the long term. One of the ways in which we're kind of um, estimating it's going to have a legacy economically is, again, to come back to these themes of, um, you know, distributed systems um, kind of uh, operating within, let's call it a communitarian sort of deal ecosystem. And so the vet goes right back to the namesake of Sangha, Um, and that goes back to, from the very beginning, um, you know, the brief kind of history of this was, um, ideologically we were pretty opposed from doing, uh, nor, nor would it have made sense to do a more typical startup approach where we went out and raised a big pile of money and then we're expected to kind of answer to, you know, um, investors, right. And, and we really gave ourselves a lot of latitude to organically work out where we fit within these various ecosystems. And so it's organically evolved as well. I mean, we came into this whole, um, particularly in the crypto side, we were acting as third party consultants, um, trying to get a deal across the finish line um, on behalf of the, our client um, who was looking to build a cryptocurrency mining facility Um, through a whole series of kind of um, events it wound up that the best way to get the deal done was for us to act as principals. Couldn't have foreseen that coming. Um, you know. But but our ability to just always um, kind of have one foot forward and one foot behind so that we're learning from what we just did and applying it um, and keeping our ears open and our eyes open to what's coming next, next has really been, has served us extremely well. Not to mention, as I said, we just try to act in a way where everyone we're interacting with, we, we, we really uh, make them feel invested in what we're doing, either literally um, financially on a project level, or kind of just you know almost um, uh, psychologically, we want everyone to feel like they're, they're real, they have a stake in this kind of collective future. So with all that said, I don't want to get too uh, uh, mystical about it. Um, we have a couple of interesting projects going on. Um, and in the cannabis space, there are um, two that I think are really exciting. There's a bunch more. One is we're actually, we, we recently put together um, a, a project called Pangea Cultivation, um, and we're going very early uh, at our own license to cultivate along with a bunch of other people that we're, we're interacting with, including manufacturers, including the STEM cultivation team. Um, we want to be the lowest cost, smartest, highest quality producer of cannabis in New York State when when legalization comes. Um, We know that that is coming very quickly. We have been interacting with stakeholders in Albany and in New York City to understand what the contours of that will look like. We expect to have uh, a lot of announcements over the course of the next 6 to 12 months about exactly where we'll be setting up a facility, what kind of license, how big of a license, et cetera, et cetera. We plan to run that business um, with exceptional standards around Um, use of renewable energy and energy efficiency. Um, We are building a very diverse team with a heavy, heavy focus on social equity. Not because we look at that as a tax that must be paid because it's being imposed upon us by the state, but because we think it's good business to create a diversified team. um, And we wanna serve the communities we work in really well. So that's a major project um, that's at its early stages. We're very excited about that. Secondarily, um, but somewhat relatedly, we are partnering, um, and I would reveal the name, but I, I, don't, I don't want to yet, because it's still kind of a, an, an earlier stage project. There's um, a sort of cannabis celebrity in the California market who is uh, world renowned for growing some of the highest quality cannabis period. Um, and we think that in partnership with STEM and this cannabis celebrity, we are going to have an extremely impressive facility set up in the Los Angeles area, Um, within the next uh, couple of months. Um, And once that facility is kind of operating, it is at that point we can really um, bring in our acumen on the energy side. So those are two of the um, uh, cannabis-related areas of focus. I would also just quickly throw in, unrelated to cannabis, but very exciting as a project we're working on, to uh, use uh, blockchain as an insure tech solution to help insurance carriers better underwrite to the risks of climate change, um, which relates to climate resilience. I know we don't have time to get fully into that. I just wanted to signal that. That is something that we think can be perhaps the most world changing of any of the projects that we're working on. Um, me here, I wanna give you a minute If you have, uh, if you have anything in addition you wanna throw in here.
3: Oh yeah. You nailed it, man. Okay.
0: I I have a question and, you know, we are getting towards the end, towards time, but, uh, a, a, you know, a big thing, a big problem that we're trying to solve, that everyone seems to be trying to solve in this industry is what's the optimal way for seed to sale tracking? And a lot of there's been a lot of interest in this community and a lot of ideas circulating around using blockchain as a way to for seed to sale tracking. Now, like I said, I'm, I'm uh, not super educated on blockchain. I am you know, trying to educate myself more and more. But how would a solution like blockchain lead to a more effective seed to sale tracking solution?
1: So I'll just, I'll say one quick thing and then kick it to Lars, who um, is better on the technical side and could describe blockchain pretty well. Um, It is something that we have heard about a couple of times. It comes up for sure. Um, Sometimes the regulations in given States work against us. Um, You know, I think that regulators have had a hard time in such a new industry, understanding how ancillary goods and services fit into the overall market. Um, you know, there are certainly ways of doing it. Um, Lars, do you want to kind of kind of explain what that might look like over the next few years?
2: Yeah. Yeah. But first I would, I would uh, throw a, a caution. Um, you know, so block, blockchain gets thrown around a lot as kind of like a panacea for, um, you know, for, for data issues. You know, if you have, you have data issues at any point along your supply chain, You know, people just say, oh yeah, you know, blockchain would fix that. And I do think that, that in this particular case, there are some real benefits, um, uh, you know, some problems that blockchain could solve. Um, that being said, um, you know, blockchain is, is essentially a database, um, technology. So unless you have good data going into any blockchain platform, um, you know, you're not going to have good data that comes out of it, um. And, and in the cannabis space, what you're, you know, what you're dealing with is a very, a very heavily regulated, um, industry. So, you know, the, uh, doing, doing some sort of blockchain protocol to, to track seed to sale would take, um, a lot of coordination with the regulators. Um, it would, it would almost have to be kind of a top down thing. They'd have to get comfortable with it and then say, okay, this is what we're going to use for everybody, um, you know, to track, um, um, you know, to track their products. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, I think the benefit in this industry is that, you know, you could, um, you could basically get rid of a lot of the data, um, um, the data friction. So you could, you know, by using this, this distributed ledger, you know, everybody, everybody can pull, you know, pull from the ledger, everybody can contribute to it. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the sort of, data communication issues could be alleviated, I think. Um, so it's, it's certainly something that, that would be very interesting. Um, you know, interesting to look at the supply chain and just see, you know, where a blockchain tool, um, could add some value. Um, but you know, I think it would have to be something that would, that would be top down. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that it's something that could just be organically implemented. Um, Given the the regulatory environment,
0: yeah, you know, we're still convincing some, you know, regulators that cannabis isn't a gateway drug, let alone how to use blockchain as, you know, an information <laughs> technology. I think we're, a, I think we're a few years off, but you know, it, it sounds like you guys are, are are making waves in all the right puddles, and you guys have really set yourself up for. Uh, success in the future for for all your endeavors. I'm really, really thankful that you guys all were able to come on the show today. I know we're in this middle of a crisis and things are a bit hairy, uh, but I also think that, you know, it's conversations like this and, you know, giving people education and value will be things that help us all get through this together as a community. So Spencer, me here, Lars, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on the show and taking the time. I really appreciate it. I admire what you guys are doing. I'm really excited to see your guys' success moving forward. So I hope we can do a follow-up episode in the future. Please keep us, uh, keep me in the loop. I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of viewers reaching out for questions, which I'll send over to you guys. But again, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to the next time we get to talk.
1: Thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, you, guys really? are,
0: you guys are awesome. Very intelligent guys. The guys from Sangha Systems, uh, an incredible group of guys, inc- incredibly passionate, intelligent. Um, and this concludes episode seven of Steve's Cannabis Show. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Stay safe, stay calm, Um, We'll see you on the other side, take care.